uh, primary school teacher. And, uh, oh, hello. I'm actually a primary school teacher, and uh, a few years ago, um, I was teaching some 10 and 11-year-olds, and we were having a discussion, should children have mobile phones in school? And we were writing balanced arguments about different things, and um, I came to the I said, right, no, you shouldn't have phones in school, because they go off at the most inconvenient times, and what happened right at that very moment, I had a cold call... And I had a bunch of 30, 11-year-olds going, yeah. <laughs> so actually, um, it was a little bit embarrassing, but there we go. So I have now put it on silent, and uh, I, it shouldn't actually do anything. Now, is this going to work? No, it's not. That's why I had the foresight to print a second copy of my sermon, put all the asterisks in place, and give it to Duncan. And Duncan is going to follow me word for word, and then try and move everything on when it should do. Brilliant. Well done. Fantastic. Right, I'm going to depress you. It's coming up to Christmas. Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. But I wonder, as we head to that sort of time of year, quite a few people start thinking about making New Year's resolutions. (laughs) I wonder if you're the sort of person who makes New Year's resolutions. Perhaps you decide it's time to uh, turn over a new leaf and begin anew. Or perhaps you think it's time to give up a habit, smoking, drinking, overeating, or being lazy, a little bit like me. Perhaps uh, it's time people take that time to think about having a change of lifestyle, getting up earlier, tidying up more frequently. Uh, perhaps you see it, or some people see it as a time to start taking more exercise. And uh, I can certainly remember uh, when I was living in Chichester about 10 years ago, um, I used to go to uh, the swimming pool and the gym sort of regularly. And we always knew in January there would be an influx of people. Now, when you're the sort of person that I was, creature of habit, and you went swimming at 9 o'clock on a Monday night and 6 o'clock on a Tuesday evening and at a certain time on a Thursday evening, and you did all of that, you got to know people by sight. Now, because I'm a bloke, we don't talk to people. I don't know if you've noticed that. Women go places and they talk to each other. Blokes just look at each other and go, what? And then you sort of swim on and do that sort of stuff. So I had that really in-depth relationship with all these blokes I used to meet in the swimming pool at that time. You'd just look at each other and go, Right? And then sort of swim on and do your front crawl. But in January, oh my word, suddenly the swimming pool would be full of people. The gym would be full of people. You couldn't get up and down the lanes because of people. Because all these people who'd made a New Year's resolution that they were going to get really fit were coming in and invading our exercise space. And the people who we all had this relationship with, we all used to look at each other. We used to make eye contacts and go, <laughs> because they were sort of coming in and sort of invading our space. But you know what? We also knew, come the middle of February, everything would be back to normal. <laughs> and we just had to endure the next six weeks of not being able to swim properly, not being able to get on the gym equipment, whatever it was, while everybody else was there trying to work it out of their system. <sighs> So why do people make these resolutions to try and turn over a new leaf? Well, perhaps try to be a better person, improve something about ourselves, be fitter, stronger, whatever. don't know what you're like at making resolutions. Have you ever stuck to them? I've only ever stuck to one New Year's resolution. 
And I made this about 15 years ago. And that resolution was not to make New Year's resolutions anymore. Because I know by the middle of February, I've given up. I'm not doing it. Because change is difficult, isn't it? I wonder how much of that desire to change actually lasts within people. We begin with good motives, but I suppose it comes down to internally, how much do we really want to change? How much do we really want to be fitter, slimmer, not eating salt and vinegar crisps like I do by the big bag full or whatever it is? I don't know. How much do we want that change? So we've been studying these couple of verses for the last sort of six, seven, eight weeks from Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to read them through to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now last week, Joshua Searle spoke to us about the first part of uh, verse 12. Sorry, could you just go back to that? Because I can't remember what it is, I haven't written it down. Uh, For the first part of uh, verse 12, uh, verse 2 there, Do not be conformed to this world. And he was talking to us about not being shaped or not being formed by the world around us. Now, like any good primary school teacher, I've got some Play-Doh. Right. You look like somebody who plays with Play-Doh. There you go. Have some. Have some Play-Doh. Perhaps you'd like to have a bit of Play-Doh. Yeah. And... uh, Perhaps uh, you'd like to have a bit of Play-Doh as well. Right. Uh, I've given four people out some Play-Doh. Form something. Make something. Shape something. It's up to you. Off you go. Form, shape, or make something. And that's really quite interesting because uh, Joshua was talking to us uh, about this last week. And as a, as, as a primary school teacher, I'm a little bit, because we have to teach spelling and different things this way, and finding out about how we teach spelling and how we help people with our spelling, one of the things we look at is prefixes and suffixes and root words and all that sort of thing. Now, if you go behind the Greek word there that talks about to be conformed, the Greek word means to fashion or to shape one thing like another. And it's often used in special reference to things. Um, I'm not a Greek expert on this, so I have to consult different Greek experts and they talk about these words. But these tell me that the things that we are not to be formed like are transitionary or changeable or they're unstable in nature. And Paul is saying, don't be made like those things. Now, the English word that's been chosen to represent that Greek word there, conformed, is quite interesting. Because form means to shape with, or something, but the prefix con means with, or together. So when he's saying do not be conformed to this world, what he's saying is don't be shaped, or pressed into shape, or be like the pressures from outside who come and shape in different things that way. Do not be formed with the world's attitudes, with its passing ideas, with its changeable nature. And you know, the world's ideas and the world's values are always 
changing. What is fashionable and right in its eyes one minute is shunned and spurned the next. An example of that would be, um, again, because I'm a primary school teacher, we teach the Tudors. The Tudors had absolutely rotten teeth. Queen Elizabeth's the first's breath. And I can say this because she's been dead nearly 500 years and she can't shut my head off anymore. Was probably, as reports say, exceptionally rank. Because the Tudors loved, they got this, they discovered sugar. And they made all these fancies out of sugar and they just ate them. And their teeth rotted. Now we've got a very different value and attitude towards sugar today. But that's just one example. There are lots of different things. But what the world thinks is right and what the world thinks should be shaped and how we should act and how we should behave and what we should believe is constantly changing. Right. What have you made? I made a pig. And it's pink. And my little girl would call it Pepper. Pepper pig. We've got a pig there. What have we got here? Oh, look. We've got... Oh, I've broken it. We've got either a starfish or a flower and um, something with an interesting face. <laughs> there we go. What did we have here? Ah, we've got a person. We're really quite creative, aren't we? And what have we... There was something else over here. What have we got here? A cross. Ah, okay. Right, I gave just Play-Dohs to four different people and they've shaped it in four different ways. Because everyone's got different ideas. Everyone's got different thoughts. And the Bible is saying, don't be shaped by what's outside because everyone's got a different thought. Everyone's got a different idea. Do not be conformed to this world and shaped in all these different ways for all these different people. Now, God isn't like that. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't U-turn. He doesn't leave us not knowing what is and what isn't. He is constant and consistent. And what the world values is often very different from what the values of God are. And he says, do not be conformed, shaped, formed by, formed with the world and its passing values and attitudes. But the Apostle Paul doesn't just leave it there. As often... In biblical writing that there is, there is a positive following a negative. And I had to be very careful when I wrote this down, because I said, Paul uses a but. And I was about saying it's a very big but, but then I thought some people might snigger like um, eight-year-olds might if I said that, so I thought I'd better not say it. But that little word but in itself is of great contrast, isn't it? We teach the children this in their writing at school conjunction. You're going to use, but you're introducing something different. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. And transformed there has got another prefix. I said I like prefixes. And the prefix trans means across. Or to move across. So think of the word transport. You move something across when you use transport. Uh, Angie and Neil have just been to uh, New York. I imagine transatlantic, across the Atlantic. If you translate something into another language, you move the words across 
into another language. If you're a musician and you transpose your music, you move it across to a different key. So the prefix trans means across. And Paul is saying here that our forming and our thinking should not be together with the world, not conformed with the world, but it should be formed across from somewhere else, from some other place. Do not be conformed. Do not be formed from the outside of all its values, but be transformed from within. As Christians, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living within us. Now, the Greek word for transformed there, I'm uh, not going to try and pronounce this. It's sort of metamorpho or something like that, but it's got different accents on that I couldn't put on on the computer. So, whatever it is, it's that word. And the Greek translators tell me that it lays an emphasis on an inward change. And that Greek word there would also be where we get our word metamorphosis from. Now, being a good primary school teacher, you've got to talk about butterflies when you bring up the word metamorphosis, because that's what we always do. Something that is completely different from how it started. My little girl's got a little book at home, and it's about um, a, uh, a little monkey that's lost its mummy. And there's a butterfly who comes along in the jungle and says, well, I'll help you find your mummy. So the monkey says, well, my, uh, my mummy swings, hangs from trees. So the butterfly takes up the monkey to a spider, because the spider hangs from trees. It's got a long, sort of tur- curly tail. So the butterfly takes the monkey to another animal that's got a long, curly tail. And to cut a long story short, the, um, the, the uh, monkey says to the butterfly, look, don't you know, my mommy looks like me. And he went, oh, you never said that. And the monkey said, well, I thought you'd know that. And the butterfly says, no, because my babies don't look anything like me. There is a complete transformation unrecognisable from what it was to begin with. And this is what Paul says about our minds. We should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And our minds are at the centre of our thinking and in there, there should be a complete change. Do not let the world and its values shape your thinking, but have your thinking transformed from within. So, the question really comes, how do we renew our minds? How are our minds renewed? And I'm sure there are lots and lots of different things that we could talk about here, but I've chosen four things just to talk about briefly this morning. So, how are our minds renewed? I think, first of all, our minds are renewed, and the first step that we have to take in this is to be in surrender to God. We have to be in surrender to God. If we are Christians here this morning, then are we allowing God to be Lord of our lives? Do we struggle against his will? Are we classing ourselves in the same way that Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that our experience? Or are we still holding on to our lives? Are we still living that life? Are we still trying to be in control? Or 
Or are we following that desire, as Paul was saying, to be as good as dead and letting Christ live in and through us? If we are wrestling with God, fighting for our own ways and desires, we aren't in surrender. I had the sort of picture in my head as I was thinking about this of those wrestlers. Did you ever watch, um, it used to be the wrestling on a Saturday afternoon? Of course it was all fake, I didn't know that as a child. But they would sort of have this submission. As long as one wrestler was trying to pin the other down, as long as he was fighting, he wasn't in submission. He wasn't in submission. Are we fighting against God? We often sing here, don't we? In surrender I must give my every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice of this broken heart. And as long as the wrestler is struggling, he hasn't surrendered. And as long as we are fighting against the will of God and fighting against what God has said, we haven't surrendered to him. And I don't think we can have our minds renewed until we are in surrender to God. So as long as our minds are fighting for independence and fighting for self, they can't be renewed. Secondly, once we are in surrender to God, that means that we accept his will and we accept his word. We accept his will and we accept his word. Does our view of the world agree with what the Bible teaches? We have the recorded mind and will of God in our hands. Do we accept it? Or do we disagree with it? Is it God's word? Or isn't it? People have criticised me in the past for believing I am right. Not just my wife. Um, as Daz was getting a dig in there this morning. No, no, no. Um, but people have criticised me for believing in the past that I am right. And so sort of saying, how arrogant to think that what you believe is Right. I don't believe I'm right. I believe God is right. And what I try to do is to adjust my thinking about the world and what it teaches and what its values to what God has to say. So I'm actually not trying to say what I think. I'm trying to say what God tells me in his word I strive to adjust my thinking about the world, its views and its politics, based on what God has to say. And if it was down to me, I think I would decide differently about what's right and what's wrong. And I'd probably hold some different beliefs and values if it was down to me. But I've had to surrender to God and to see the world from his point of view and to accept what he has to say. Now, he's the eternal, unchanging God, and I am, as the Bible teaches, just like the grass. It flowers, it comes, it dies, the world carries on. I was talking to my children uh, at school a little while ago, saying the earth is completely, has a completely different population from what it had 150 years ago. If you start thinking about 150-year time gaps... The world's got a completely different population. There are 7 billion different values and attitudes here today than there were 150 years ago. Whose values and attitudes do we listen to? 7 billion different people, but one God with the same values. 
The same attitudes, the same love, still consistent, still constant. So how do I find out about that will of God and how mine should be shaped towards his? Find it in his word. So what part is the Bible playing in my life in that way? If I'm not to be formed externally by the world and what it has to say, I have to come to it from God's perspective and God's view. And I can't have that without the Bible. We need to put the word of God into our hearts and minds. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible isn't a dead and dusty book full of outdated mumbo-jumbo. It is living. And if we are in surrender to God, then we will accept his word. And as we accept his word, read it and meditate on it, it transforms our thinking. It transforms our mind because our mind is renewed, because it is living and it is changing us. So, how are our minds renewed? Surrender to God. Accepting his will and his word. Thirdly, I think we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already said that as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within us. But it's not just that. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it means this. The word filled there means to be controlled by. Think about it. If we're filled with anger, anger controls us. And the things that we do are a result of the anger that we are filled with. If we're filled with jealousy, jealousy controls us. And what we do is a result of that jealousy which fills us. If we're filled with lust, lust controls us. And what we go and do is based on the lust that is controlling us. If we're filled with alcohol, alcohol controls us. And we do the things that are based on that. And we see in the Bible... What happens when people were filled with jealousy, filled with anger, filled with alcohol? And we see those things, don't we? So to be filled by something means to be controlled by it. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the agent of change within, making us more like Christ, changing us to be like him. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 that he, that is Christ, saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And renewal of the Holy Spirit. If we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, then he is at work in us. Changing us. Taking the word of God and changing our thinking and values. Making us more like him. Renewing our minds. And finally, if we're to have our minds renewed, I think we must actually have the mind of Christ in us. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, very famous verses, and he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about how Christ surrendered himself to God and to his will and accepted the cross. 
We've got to have the mind of Christ in us. As an elder at my previous church, we used to take it in turns to chair the elders' meetings every month. And we would have to come with something prepared at the start of the meeting to lead the other elders in reflective worship. I often went to that passage and I often talked about that because I thought, right, as elders, it should not be what we want. This has got to be what Christ wants. How can we ensure that we've got what Christ wants and not what we want by having the mind of Christ in us? How do we do that? By surrendering to his will and accepting what he says. And so therefore we have unity because we have the same mind. We're of one mind, the mind of Christ. Being renewed in our minds, we want the mind of Christ in us. So ultimately we would think and see things as God sees them. The Christian writer J.B. Phillips paraphrases this verse that Joshua was talking about last week and I've been talking about this week like this. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within. Everybody who had the Play-Doh, and I will collect it from you later, so no taking it home, please. Uh, It's my daughter's and I'll be in trouble. Um, You squeezed it from the outside, That's how you formed it. You squeezed it from the outside. And that's what the world wants to do to us. Forming us and shaping us from the outside. Actually, what God wants to do is to form and shape us from inside by the renewing of our mind, transform our minds and thinking. So why did we think about New Year's resolutions at the start? Well, as we said, we're not very good at keeping them because we're not very motivated by that change with inside. Actually, when God transforms, when God renews. It's not about us doing it, it's about him doing it, and that change is lasting. I thought it was very interesting that I turned to the back of yours today, and there's a little bit about Leslie, about soap. She said she's not going to ask us about our washing habits. I thought she was asking about us our TV habits. I thought she was going to talk about soap offers or something, but no. She's talking about using the word soap in how we read the Bible, and she's talking about how we read it and apply it. And I thought, what an interesting thing to come on the back of yours today, because by doing that, our minds are renewed and transformed as we allow the word to sink into them. And I thought, wow, God's brought that to be there for today's message. So, can I just go back on, Duncan? How are our minds renewed? We've got to surrender to God. We've got to accept his will and his word. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we need the mind of Christ in us. Hello.